0: I actually was down in Sydney on the weekend, had a great day. I was walking down the street yesterday. There was a, an old toothless man banging a stick against a pole. I took my headphones out and he he exclaimed as he banged his stick against the pole, he said, I'm making noise. I'm making noise. And I said, mate, that's music, bro. That's music, brother. And he said, yeah. And I said, just kidding. That's actually just noise. Hello. Uh, anxiety. A lot of people suffer from this. Uh, not only in Australia, but around the Oceania region. And one thing that gives me anxiety is sitting in a cafe, um, making great, stimulating uh, conversation um, with female, uh, attractive female uh, guests, but looking over and seeing another couple um, who are struggling to make conversation. In other words, uh, put euphemistically, there is a deafening silence uh, from that table, and sometimes they're even looking around awkwardly, and then they just see me looking at them, and they look back at each other, and they still can't think of anything to say, and they look back to see if I'm still looking, and I am, and it gives me a lot of anxiety. And a lot of people say, "Oh, you know, it's love when you can just sit there and you don't have to say anything, and it's okay." And I would say, actually, that sounds like it's kind of when you're sick of each other and you've run out of things to talk about, and you've probably just find a new partner, um, or you could just. I don't know. Propose and get married and have a new thing to talk about. Wow, wasn't it that fun that time you proposed to me at that cafe after you'd been silent for thirty minutes? You you were thinking of how to propose and and how to do it most romantically. Um, and you actually saying, you know, actually, I was just sitting there wanting what to talk about. I said, bugger it, i we'll propose. Um, something to do, isn't it? <laughs> I actually, I have gone completely wacko. I actually, I'm of the opinion that uh, I used to have the Harry Lee, the famous. Harry Lee three-year rule. Now, notepads and pens out, please, ladies and gentlemen. This is Crazy Thought of the Week. Now, I assure you, it might sound like this is actually just a karaoke version of Crazy by Niles Barkley, but it's actually uh, something I made on GarageBand. Um, I played it backwards and then it sounded like a bit like Crazy. Um, I assure you, this has nothing to do with Crazy by Niles Barkley. And if there are any lawyers listening, any copyright lawyers listening, back off. Back off! Um, so this is a Harry Lee three-year rule. So you that you find a partner, a male or female partner, or anything in between. Um, if you if any Canadian listeners are tuning in this morning, you might find a cereal a cereal you like. You might find um, a cracker or even a piece of fruit. And if you fall in love with that particular. Um, Object, um, oh, sorry, is living a piece of fruit is living, and um, it has feelings, um, and you decide to marry that, then this would fit into my Harry Lee three-year theorum. So basically, uh, you see each other for two years, um, everything's going well. Uh, obviously, the second year is a bit more intimate than the first year. There's, yeah, you know, the beginning is a bit tentative, at least the first six months. Like at least, um. Within the first year, there's still some horror stories you haven't heard. Like, maybe if you're dating someone, maybe after like one one and a quarter years, they might say, can I tell you a story? And you go, yeah, you can tell me anything. And they'll go, it's a story of when I shat myself in Yacht Week in Croatia. Um, And you go, holy dooly, you shat yourself? And then they go into the intimate details of the poo and the stains and the embarrassment. Um, So basically... uh, Basically... Um, so, for the first two years, you get that tentative dating period. And then in the third year, you move in together. Bit of a leap, definitely. But at the end of the day, and this is the, this is the root of the three-year theorem. Um, you can't give nine years to every girl or boy or anything in between. Oh, Christ, Can Can you... Can the people in Canada Stop listening Or cereal Or piece of fruit That you decide You're in love with And decide to marry Under Canada's Very liberal marriage laws um, uh, I'm thrown off By you bloody Canadians So uh, It's a leap But look I have a friend down south And I actually don't think They're married yet I think they're still engaged So it'd be past The ten year period But they were dating I remember I mean, The last time I saw him in the, In the flesh Was like you know, a few years ago, and his sister had been dating this guy for, like, seven years. And even then, I was like, wow. And he hasn't made up his mind yet, or she hasn't made up her mind yet, you know? Um, What's wrong with a female proposing? I think we need to see more of it. In fact, I want to see... I mean, people march in the streets for all kinds of things. They march in the streets for, what, human rights and, you know, uh, things like that. I mean, that's all rather boring. I want to see people marching in the streets for... Uh, Women proposing more Take this burden off our men It's stressing our men out Do you know how much effort it takes to plan Like a a really romantic proposal It almost makes me not want to propose If I just proposed while like making dinner On a Tuesday night And they'd be like Oh I mean like yeah I mean like yeah I'll marry you You're an absolute catch Harry Lee But um I just thought it'd be more ceremonial I thought there'd be like a Hidden camera thing And then like Your professional photographer friend Would be hiding in the cupboard And Anyway, um, I'm, not, I'm not no, I'm not upset. I'm not upset. No, no, I'm actually really excited. So how much did the ring cost? Was oh, that all? Oh Anyway, no, no, it's cool. That's fine. Right. No, seriously, it's fine. No, no, I'm not, I'm not sad. I'm not crying. I'm not crying. I was just being I was cutting onions. I was cutting onions. <laughs> um. Anyway, so basically, you move it. Like so. Basically, yeah. And then, uh, I saw. I have his sister on Facebook. And then it was like. It would be like three years later, so they must have been dating for about nine years, and and it said, "Ah, oh, my love of my life has finally proposed," and I think the word "finally" was in there. It was like it's like a surprise. It was like, "Wow, how crazy!" Like your boyfriend of like nine years proposed, and um, and uh, they haven't married yet. So I mean, they're, they're over the ten-year mark. Say, I mean, essentially, if you haven't got married, in my eyes, unless you've had a, comm- if there's no commitment ceremony, if there's no emphatic announcement. Of like, I'm in love with you. And I actually think this could last forever. Um, I mean, that's what that's such a union is. That's what a commitment ceremony is. That's what a marriage is. Um, it's like, it's like you're my forever person. And I'm sorry. And I'm sorry to people who are only in relationships and they haven't had such a ceremony yet. Because I literally think that what differentiates um, marriage or a, a proper like commitment ceremony is that like, If you put on weight or if you have a serious injury, like if you get put in like a wheelchair and you can't talk, right? So you can't talk anymore. Um, Say you play rugby or something and you have a terrible injury. On a side note, any loving parent would not let their child play rugby union anymore. If you're a loving parent and you let your children play rugby union, rewind, backspace. You're not a loving parent. You're just a parent. You're almost evil. Come over here. Sit next to me, I'll teach you all about soccer. It's the game, it's the world game, and it's the game of the future. Rough enough so that the big tough guys can still, you know, knock over plays, but no one dies. The only people who died on soccer fields are like ones who were like, it was like their destiny. It was like they collapse. And everyone looks around and goes, what the hell happened? And you know, they take him back, like a doctor cuts him open and you know, drinks his blood and examines his organs and says he had a heart attack you know it's like it's like he would they would have died anyway if they were in a shopping center they would die you know it's not, because, it's not it's got nothing to do with the soccer hands off the soccer <coughs> uncuff soccer um, anyway so what I'm trying to say is if you're not if you haven't made that commitment like had a commitment ceremony or uh, gotten married then I truly believe that a partner should be able to leave the other person um, without any guilt. If, if I have not proposed to you that we have a commitment ceremony or marriage, and then I have a terrible accident, I lose all my limbs. Um, and, and you look at me and you say, my imaginary partner, can you put, just put yourself in the shoes? And, um, and the bra of my hypothetical lover and, and, I, and I'll tell you this if I have a terrible accident and I lose all my limbs and I haven't proposed to you yet then you can walk you can walk you can say oh that's a bit difficult now oh, I can't really be bothered to push around a chair. I'm out of here um, yeah you have some fun facts about bird watching in rural New South Wales but it doesn't really make up for the whole fact you have no limbs so I have to push you around forever But If I have married you And you have accepted That proposal for marriage you have to, you've, you've said those words out loud and, and, and you know Everyone heard them They've recorded it I'll, I'll do a voice memo Of you saying it In sickness and in health You have to stick by me Even if you can't talk to me ever again Even if my mouth Even if I lose my mouth In a tragic smelting accent And my penis Alright I'm literally capable of no sexual interaction whatsoever. I have no limbs, no mouth, and no penis, all right? You have to, you have to look after me because you accepted that proposal. You married me, goddammit. Don't you walk away from me. Well, I wouldn't have a mouth to say that. In fact, I'd have, if I had no limbs, no mouth, and no penis, I'd have very little, not that the penis would come into it, really, but I'd have no way of really protesting if you walked away. All I'm saying is you should feel guilty. You should feel incredibly guilty because you made a commitment. But if I hadn't proposed, I would say, I would nod, and I would give you my respect. There'd be no way of showing that respect. Maybe through my eyebrows, I'd be like, respect. You can't see them, but uh, I gave you respectful eyebrows just then, my hypothetical lover. Um, anyway. You're going to be hot and bothered just thinking about who you are out there, my hypothetical lover. Um, anyway. So, yeah. Um... I look at these people in cafes and I get very bothered by how little conversation they have and then I remember that there was a young man who wasn't so young anymore and actually his name was Ronan Keating and I think he summed it up um, worse than anyone ever could. He said, you say it best when you say nothing at all. It was a hit and obviously it connected with a lot of people, went to number one, you say it best when you say nothing at all. And I think everyone who bought, well, back then, the physical CD with a hard cover, they're in denial. They thought that when they could sit in a cafe and they could just look at each other and have absolutely nothing to talk about, that meant they were in love. And they thought, well, it must be. Ronan Keating says so. Well, I think... Ronan Keating must, uh, must have had a partner with a very, very annoying voice. They must have said, look, no, sorry, just shush for a moment. You say it best when you say nothing at all, baby. What do you mean? What do you mean, Ronan? <laughs> I say it best when I actually say it. No, no, baby, baby, baby. You say it best when you say nothing at all. Mm, I wrote this song for you, baby. Now, please, shut the fuck up just for a moment while I play this beautiful song for you. It's amazing how you can speak right to my heart. If you're really serious, if you think that actually sitting in a cafe and having absolutely no conversation means that you're in love, well, then, what if you rocked up on a first date with someone and they literally said nothing that entire first date? Would you be like, oh, wow, we're in love. Might as well propose now. In the middle of Tenerife, at this organic cafe. In front of all these people in activewear. I think it was a myth. Made up by a really boring guy. Perpetuated by Ronan Keating through the power of song. That, if you run out of conversation, it's actually a really good thing. I think there was a really boring guy, and he was sitting in a cafe, probably in Tenerife, organic, where most boring people go. Because they're so boring, they have absolutely nothing to talk about, so they need the cafe to make up for it. We're not very interesting, so why don't we go to a cafe that serves interesting food. Look, there's no meat in it. Look, absolutely no dairy. No eggs, no meat. Look at this. And it looks like actual food. <laughs> yes, yeah, very stimulating. Anyway, so look and, and then uh, this, this his, his girlfriend's said look, Terry I'm out of here. We've run out of conversation. The spark is gone. The flame is out. There was an eternal flame. Yes, there was. But there was also there was also a bit of rain, and that and that flame is out. Um, unfortunately, we don't our love doesn't have like a underground gas uh, connection like like the the one down at Anzac Square does. So actually, the flame's out, Terry. The flame is out, and I'm out of here, Terry. You don't treat me no good no more. You don't talk to me anymore. And then Terry stands up. He flips the table. The corn, the oatmeal made with real almond milk, the blueberries defrosted from that pre-packaged Kohl's brand, frozen berries all the way from chilli. Yeah, hepatitis C blueberries, defrosted, they go flying through the air, and you get down on one knee, and you say to your love... (laughs) This girl, you know she's the one. So you tell her. Look. We may have run out of conversation, baby. I'm hearing you, baby. But look, listen to this Ronan Keating song. Listen to what the man say. Listen to what the man say! You say it best. And you say say nothing at all. You say it best when you say nothing at all, and I say it best when I say nothing at all. It means we're in love, baby! Ronan says so! So come on, baby, take my hand. I'll take you to Pleasure Land, right in the middle of this Tenerife Cafe. That's right, uncloak me, baby. Trust me, I'm wearing nothing under this trench coat. Lawyer, in we're in love, baby! I have heaps to talk about. I just didn't want to say anything. I say it best when I say nothing at all, baby. That's why I was saying nothing. I actually have heaps of views. Really controversial views. Hobbies you didn't even know I had. Political views so radical. I could be deemed a terrorist just for thinking them. Um, We went to actually see a classical music concert. And um, a truly great day. I recommend it to anyone, it was the first time I'd ever seen classical music, not that she knew that. Uh, she thought I was the most sophisticated person on earth, and if girls think you're sophisticated, you get the girl. Um, so basically, I was in such an exuberant mood after this particular uh, classical music concert and with some pianist from Russia, that I, um, I wrote a review for 4ZZZ, they do these cultural reviews right, and so I submitted it and um, she wrote back saying, hi Harrison, thank you for submitting the review but it could use some editing. There's mention of Eastern European genitalia and strip clubs and concludes with the date stepping in a separate Uber. As mentioned, I love the energy, but can we bring it back a bit and make it more about the performance? Um, So I I made some edits and and then was edited some more and eventually uh, all all the risque stuff was cut out. So what I'm going to debut uh, for you guys at home tonight is the full uncut Version of my uh, classical music review. Uh, this is a guy who knows nothing about classical music reviewing a classical music concert. Uh, this is the Australian Youth Orchestra with Andre Gugnan on the Monday, 16th July 2018, at the QPAC Concert Hall. So, ''Do you go to things like this often?'' my date asks. ''I have not missed the opportunity of convincing an attractive woman ''that cursing and throwing half-empty Forex cans at the television ''during State of Origin is not the most cultured I get. ''I have two free tickets to see a Russian pianist.'' ''I can't remember if I clearly articulated the date plan ''and I wonder whether she expects a classical music concerto ''or European genitalia... uh, ''of the Eastern variety.'' The tickets, courtesy of 4 Z, are for the Australian Youth Orchestra's performance with Andre Gugnan, the 2016 winner of the coveted Sydney International Piano Competition at the QPAC Concert Hall. We are standing in the VIP line, which is ironically fourfold longer than the Common People line. They were probably held up on public transport. I still ponder the question she asked and how to respond. Maybe she thinks orchestras and maestro pianists are boring, in which case it could be curtains if I do go to things like this often. Then again, I wouldn't cry over someone who walks out during a classical music concerto intermission saying that needs more tits than explosions. But answer in the, uh, in the affirmative, and I could be sprung with a question like, OK then, name your top seven Polynesian cellists of the 18th century. I answer the question with a question. Fancier champagne? Champagne is only $8 at the bar, cheaper than I expected. This triggers a chain of thought that will boggle me throughout the entire performance. You see, classical music, aka high art, in inverted commas, is quite simply, objectively BETTER than pop music. There should have been no need for inverted commas when I said high art in the last sentence. A bugger, I did it again, I'm using a typewriter. Uh, People listen to music for the same reason we watch films, play video games, and eat fluffy almond croissants in rustic colonial buildings. It's for escapism. Escapism. See, life can be dull. Even architects with great earrings spend long days drawing squares. The 9 to 5 has become the 7 to 7 and a half Saturday for some. A trip to see an orchestra, no matter whether it might be comprised of youths, or even a virtuosic, dexterous Russian penis is the highest form of escapism. Close your eyes during a luscious, sweeping movement as Andre's grand piano buoys upon a boiling sea of strings and horns, a wall of sound filling the Cupac concert hall, and it's better than sex. Everyone was out the front during an intermission with messed up hair and smoking cigarettes. Andre's fingers danced across the keys like Messi around German defenders, and it begged the question. Say the press found out that Andri Gugnan groped his secretary, or maybe punched a baby. Would QPAC refuse to book Andri? Or is his talent simply too immense? Would the compromise be fist-shaking instead of applause? See, Gugnan glided through Tchaikovsky's Piano Concerto No. 1 with such elegance and passion it was as if he wrote the piece himself. Probably about a breakup. It felt like Andre and the piano had a symbiotic relationship and it was simultaneously breathing life into him too. At moments it seemed as if he elevated himself off his chair and I half expected him to launch into an epic rendition of Crocodile Rock. When I was in high school there was a a young fellow named Roger Kong. He was an only child of Chinese expats who was often summoned to perform at graduation ceremonies and assemblies during slow weeks. Rumour had it that he had obtained the highest musical grade possible, an Amos A. He had effectively defeated the big boss in the game of music. Rumour also had it that he would practice up to three to four hours per day. Now, Gugnan must have practiced this concerto more times than Siberia's had snowstorms and wolfpack attacks. Yet he still managed to ooze passion and convey, through his body and countenance, the emotions that the concerto concurrently express. After all, he didn't even have sheet music in front of him. Andre stands, the crowd erupts, he bows and he leaves. He comes back, an encore! He stands, he bows, the crowd erupts, he leaves. People grab their purses. He comes back! A double encore! Is this like a strip club? Do we have to pay the pianist another hundred bucks unless we tell him to stop? He shrugs at the crowd and smiles. The audience holds its breath for a solo piece that fully demonstrates Gugnan's control, precision, and tasteful theatrics. An intermission and the orchestra are back on for a roller coaster-like rendition of Rachmaninoff's Rach for short Symphonic Dances. The noticeable handful of empty seats after the interval suggested that Andre was perhaps the main attraction of the evening, or maybe that QPAC had served bad oysters. The conductor abruptly swivels and addresses the audience, giving a short history of the featured composers and some brief descriptions of the techniques and narratives of the compositions. There is something to learn for the seasoned concert goer, and it's also a great introduction for the newcomers, though I still yell out, PLAY THE HITS! Symphonic dances stirringly evinces the juxtaposition of bleak darkness and euphoric jubilation, a reflection of life itself. The orchestra emphatically demarcates these two moods, and the band masterfully weave their way through the seemingly spontaneous rhythmic changes. Even the French horn section get their time in the sun. But the experience is not merely aural. It is a wondrous spectacle too. The players sway in unison, as if they were a field of black poppies. The music were a whirling gust of wind, and the conductor were God himself. Symphonic dances is interposed with a few moments of silence, where a handful of first-timers decide to applaud. Amateurs, I scoff. When the piece uh, finally does conclude, I feel like I've just blacked out and lived another life. And this was the youth orchestra, so imagine the adults. Mind you, the youths of the orchestra weren't as youthful as I expected. There was no waving in the crowd to proud parents or crying out of, "Where's Daddy?" And when we went for a quiet campari and soda at the pub afterwards, the entire orchestra seemed to show up. Theirs were well-earned lagers, it being the final night of their tour, and they were no doubt knackered after trashing hotel room after hotel room down the east coast. The performance was accessible but masterful. In the crowd that night were people of all ages, including a man I recognised to be a Supreme Court judge, and another man whom I thought to be a former rugby league player, though it might just have been someone I saw fighting on Caxton Street. This was a testament to the universal appeal of classical music, because it is objectively better than any other music. My date turns to me and says that she has had a really great night, albeit as she steps out to meet her own Uber. I should like to go to things like this more often. Look, I, I did a guest appearance on another radio show last Thursday. Um, they asked me to review um, a film. And um, not having been to the cinema lately, I decided I would uh, review an imaginary film. And I convinced the girls that there was, in fact, a Titanic sequel called Titanic 2. Um, Jack is back. Um, this is a, It was inspired in part by uh, one of the great YouTube videos of all time, um, it, Titanic 2, Jack's Back. Uh, well, I completely lifted the title there, haven't I? Maybe it's completely based on, well, it's plagiarism, and then I'll play it for you right now.
1: Our pal, Harry, who's loosening his tie, getting ready for a spiel.
0: Hey, hey do you mind if I give you my formal introduction?
1: Please, yep. do so.
0: Guess who's back. go, go, guess who's back. He's the man. <laughs> <laughs> He's the king. <laughs> he had sex once when he was 19.
1: <laughs> wow. That was something. Oh. And it was fantastic. Thank you very much. This little segment. <laughs> Can we have that in. every time?
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> You've the remix next time.
1: Okay.
2: <laughs> this is a segment that we've been doing uh for a month or so now. Uh bi weekly, Harry comes in and reviews something. Uh, this week we had a little request in there, in that you watch a movie trailer. Don't watch the movie, just the trailer, and we review would like the you movie to review the movie, the movie yeah. as you had watched it. How did you go?
0: Oh, I did. I did very well. Yes, I found a truly great film.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's called. Well, I don't want to spoil it already, but if you've seen Titanic, you'll know that it's a gra- a truly great film. It is. Uh, James Iconic. Cameron's, nineteen ninety seven. Correct. Mm. Masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And there was a clamour. They said, James Cameron, you have to make a sequel. How can you end it there with the ship sinking and uh, Jack dying? Sorry, spoiler alert, Jack dying. How <laughs> could you leave it there? And uh, years later, he said, all right, I won't leave it there. And we've had our Hillary Clinton fact checkers uh, investigate <laughs> this And they've confirmed it's true. There is actually a sequel to Titanic.
1: And James Cameron made it?
0: James Cameron made it. He that's more than rack. made it. He starred in it.
1: Oh. No. Um, it
0: was a bit of a lower budget, so he had to play <laughs> quite a few of the characters. Uh, <laughs> both Jack and Rose were played <laughs> by James Cameron.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so I didn't know there was a Titanic 2, to you, Belle? I did not know this. No, neither. I mean,
2: neither. The, sick, the ship sinks and that's the end, isn't yeah. it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that, no, that's what people who haven't seen Titanic 2 say. They yeah. always say that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Could you tell us what you think happens in the plot? Or well, well, what you know happens because you watch the trailer, the, so you
0: know. The title of the film <laughs> itself actually gives it away. Yes. Titanic 2 Jack's Back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, wow, that yeah. sounds
1: like a heinous like soap opera, like but where they die like a telenovela and then they always come back to life.
0: Like when Bold and the Beautiful when someone dies yes, in a car yes. crash and then like yep. seven years later they're, they they're walk out f- <laughs> 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 they're floundering for a new plot line they say "Well, look, yeah. just come back and say yeah. you faked your own death <laughs>
2: yes,
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we we'll have a
0: new actor perform your character yeah exactly uh, everyone moves on like, everyone's like everyone's like very Upset, how they can take me for such a fool. They bring a new actor in and then they say this person faked their own death. Mm. But then a day later, they go, well, whatever, we'll just carry on. <laughs> Um The great thing about The Bold and Beautiful is you can take like a 10 year break, come back. And you come back,
1: back, back.
2: nothing's it's happened. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Still argumenting, arguing in the like fireplace yeah. <laughs> room, like, just hanging out. Oh, it's good times. All right. Anyway, Jack. So, Jack's back. Yeah. so yep. basically,
0: they're going down there looking for that, uh, that jewelry, that famous uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, ruby that she yeah. threw down the ocean. And, and then they find this ice cube and they say what is that a man and basically Jack is frozen <laughs> from the ocean and he has remained frozen oh my and gosh. um so they, they they take him out and they're very careful to slowly defrost him um in, the, in a giant a human sized microwave they they make sure um Initially, one of the apprentices just presses two minutes and goes, no, no, you'll cook half of him. <laughs> and then on the inside, he'll be all frozen. So they, they put him on defrost, and uh, he defrosts. And basically, the film turns out to be a bit of like a combination of E.T., um, Castaway, and also a little bit of Texas Chainsaw Massacre because basically, he's, he's just been defrosted. He was a frozen man. And so he's a bit of an alien, and... Basically, he's on the run. They they want to imprison him in some sort of scientific lab and do tests. And it's a little bit like castaway in the sense that he's come back from the bottom of the ocean and he's been frozen and it's been years and years. And he, his first thought is, I "Have to go find Rose. We'll pick up where we left off, eh?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and um, basically, rocks up at Rose's house. She's got a new man, and yeah, it's a little bit like when my friend—it's not Billy Zane. No, 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 but um, it's a little bit like when my friend came back from exchange and he was like, I'll just go see my girlfriend again and, you know, we'll carry on <laughs> dating. And she was like, you know, this is, oh,
1: this is Derek. Oh, um, that is something. <laughs> so Jack's back,
0: but Rose uh, is with, you know, Derek. And basically <laughs> because he's been frozen and legally dead, right, um, he's actually not a legal person. So he's on the run and basically it's a bit of like... Um, um uh, like all things like all films in 2018 it's actually a metaphor for refugees because it's a bit of a culture shock he's here in the future in a, in a new land and um he's struggling to get work because he doesn't have a passport or ID and um basically it's a culture shock and uh, people are like you know dawn fraser says to jack go back to where you came from frozen at the bottom of the ocean and and basically here's the reprise uh, Leon- the, the Leonardo character, Leonardo DiCaprio character from uh, Cash Me If You Can, and he has to forge a lot of documents to, and has all these different careers, and turned that to be great family fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Um, I would like to let's play a track and then let's look up what happens and just if you want to the This, yes, this is the main
0: plot line. Yeah, that when he comes back. From the ocean, he has one thing in mind. After Rose is taken, he says, all right, well, there's one other thing I need to do. The necklace? No, no, no. He's going, I'm going to pursue uh, uh, a claim for breach of the Consumer Law Act of 2001 (laughs) for the the bastard who said this thing was unsinkable.
1: Yep, fair. Okay, let's play this track.
0: Titanic 2, Jack's back. (laughs) (laughs) The crazy, wacky adventures of Jack after they find him frozen at the bottom of the ocean. They take him out. He's in a giant ice cube. They say, do we put him in a glass of Campari and soda Mm -hmm. or do we defrost him and let him loose? And so they take the (laughs) latter option. And um, it's it's just all about the culture shock. It's like, Mm. this guy's been frozen (laughs) since, what, 1911? (laughs) Since 1911. So he's running around going, what? Women have jobs now. 100 years in the future? Yes. (laughs) And he's saying things like, what? I saw a black man driving a car. Like, Jack, you (laughs) can't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Been frozen since 1911. Fair. But eventually he gets a job. Mm. Uh, you might remember that famous scene in Third Class when they do the Irish dancing.
2: Yeah. So he, yes. he gets a
0: job. He d- he's doing some jigs at the local, <laughs> at the local Irish pub. Yep. You know, Gilligan O'Hooley, uh Fletchers, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> Malisons, and um, <laughs> basically he's doing some Irish jigs, and ladies are putting you know dollar bill notes in his jock strap and he's going, "Wow, fantastic tips!" And his boss says, "Jack." <laughs> Those aren't tips, and so he's selling his body to to get by in this crazy, wacky world of 2018. And um, he's he's selling his body. They're putting up a sign out the front of the the Irish pub. They're saying, "Look, uh, sleep with the famous Titanic man." Uh, he's he has no idea about inflation. He'll accept sixpence, oh. um, <laughs> and it's it's just a crazy, wacky adventures
1: That sounds like a great movie.
0: It really but, does. <laughs> but, you know, it ends very sadly because uh, life in 2018 is very difficult. Mm-hmm. And he eventually says, um, I, why didn't you just leave me frozen? I was happy there at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> And that's scene. Yeah,
1: that's, End the, that's, maybe.
0: that's the ending. Yep. And then he goes back.
1: Freezes awesome. himself. Yeah. yeah. So, himself how about out of five stars, what would you give it?
0: Five stars? Mm. Five, that was a five stars question mark. Um not yes. five stars, full stop. No. <laughs> no, it, it's knocking the door of five. Look, there's no denying Titanic 1 was the best film since Honey, I Shrank the Kids. Did you cry? Did, Did I cry? Do you cry
1: when you watch? Of course I cried. Titanic? It's a psychopath okay, yeah. test. You don't cry yeah. during Titanic.
0: <laughs> Incinerate yeah, them in <laughs>
1: um,
0: But uh, is, there's no denying that Titanic 2 is the best film since Titanic 1.
2: Oh, <sighs> We definitely Mike like drop. your version compared to uh, <laughs> the, the one that we just Wikipedia found on Wikipedia version, Wikipedia. Uh, which the first sentence is uh, "Titanic Two is a 2010 low-budget disaster film." So we'll go with your story yeah. storyline instead. Well, I the like that.
0: Low budget doesn't correlate to bad film though, mm. and, v- and vice versa.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Blair, Blair Witch Little. Project. Fair, yeah. That was Good made point. with the
0: equivalent yeah. of a $10 Wendy's voucher. Yeah,
2: but when you follow low budget with disaster, I'm pretty sure that yeah <laughs> shows you which which side it's on. Yeah,
0: from the French writer Balzac, uh, who mused as long as the long as long ago as the 1830s, really, that every party that you go to is in fact two parties. Now, at the first party um, of the party. Is uh, you know everyone's there, sort of milling really about, making some small talk, uh, being uh, you know. There's a lot of decorum. So, for example, uh, um, people are going up to each other and they're and they're saying, you know, hey mate, how you going? How's work? Oh, work. Oh, work's going really, really well. Oh yeah, where, where do you work? Ah, oh, you know, near where with the big with the big boys down on. Eagle Street Queen Street sort of area that's where I that's where I work really well there Oh oh me too I I work I work on Eagle Street too uh, I know the area really well what what company are you with uh, um, <laughs> The company? Uh, Yeah, because I am employed. I'm not unemployed. I I am employed by a reputable company. I have a great job. Uh, Very high salary. Almost too high. I actually asked the other day, can you lower my salary? Um, It's in the best interest of the company, uh, the company that I work for, of course. I'm employed, and everything's going really well in my life. Uh, So I said, lower my salary. Um, And then I... I actually... I, I don't work. I'm a politician. Um... And then people come up to each other and and they and they say, look, oh, hey mate, uh, how's your girlfriend? Oh, great, great. Uh, she is really great. That girlfriend of mine, she is extremely good. Um, oh, really? Okay. Well, what does she do for a living? Oh, she is. Uh, she's a teacher. She is really great with kids. That's why she's a catch. Uh, really great with kids. Oh, really? Huh. Which school? Oh, uh, Brisbane brisbane high school brisbane high i have two kids who go there uh wh- what's her name uh, her name oh my girlfriend's name that girlfriend of mine who i still am dating uh, very healthy relationship love 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 um you know <laughs> She is wonderful, and uh, her school is wonderful too. And she, her, well, because I'm going to marry her, might as well call her Missus. Her Missus. Uh, the truth is, I don't, I don't have a Missus. I, I legally married a yogurt pot in Canada. See, uh, so that's the first part of the party, and then there's a second part when we sort of we sort the wheat from the chaff. Um, some people are all tucked out; they'll go to bed. Um, those with uh, demanding. Uh, partners and spouses, they'll be dragged home. Um, the ones with kids uh, to save money on the babysitter, because babysitters are expensive. They'll be leaving after about half an hour in. And so you're left with um, uh, you're left with the party legends, so to speak. This is what Balzac was getting at back in the 1830s. Um, how to sort out the party legends. And on this particular evening, Balzac would be very, very proud, because um, there a few of us lads that stayed up, and basically... <laughs> A couple of them took um, the bloke's ute for a drive because the mist was rising up out of the valley. We were in a valley, and basically all this mist and fog was rising up like a tsunami. We were just standing there just just pointing and yelling, It's coming! It's coming! And eventually it drifted up and it engulfed us, um, the mist. And basically they decided they would go driving um, the bloke's motorbikes and utes around after the bloke had gone to bed and, um, and and just to get the thrill of not being able to see anything in the fog. And uh, so all you could see from up on the hill, were these red lights just drifting around. And then and you could only, you could hear the voices, and then all of a sudden there were screams because apparently they almost drove into a dam um, about you know, a, a metre from the precipice. And so this is the kind of thing that can happen in the second party. And so if that's not really your kettle of fish, if that's not your tin of tuna, so to speak, if that's not your bag of elephants, um, maybe the first party's for you. It's midnight. What are you kids still doing up? But Dad, why are you still up? A canter of banter. Good morning, good morning. The 1st of August, 2018. 1-8. 1-8. Welcome to a decanter of banter. Welcome to a decanter of banter. South East Queensland's most controversial 12 to 2am radio show, Southeast Queensland's most controversial. 12 till 2am radio show. The 1st of August, 18. Great stuff. I think I speak on behalf of everyone here in South Queens, Southeast Queensland. When I say, slap me on the arse and call me Susan. It's a bit chilly out there, isn't it? But I get it. Look, uh, Brisbane, we get about two weeks of proper winter. Um, you spend, about, you spend about 200 bucks on a lovely cashmere wool sweater that you get to show the girl you like about twice before summer rolls around again and your terrible rig is exposed to the world once again. But um, it, it begs the question, in places like Mauritius, right? Paradise on Earth. People live there, you know. It's not just... Um, people going to collect their Panama papers and stopping over for a swim on the way back uh, to New York or Canberra, as it were. But um, uh, what do they do for their holidays? Where where do you holiday if you live in paradise? Um, That's the big question. In my opinion, you'd have to take a two-week holiday to Siberia because you can't get any better than Mauritius. So you have to go somewhere that makes you appreciate your home more. Which is a little bit like a Brisbane winter. You get two weeks of actual cold, and then that's all you really need. You don't need this half a year bollocks they get down in Melbourne, London, and every other place that's uh, perpetually blanketed by grey skies. Um, you get just enough to appreciate the rest of the year round. Um, I'd like to you know a little word from our sponsors. Um, this episode is brought to you by Palm Oil. That's right, Palm Oil. Um, Do you know that palm oil isn't just a delicious, uh, drizzle on a side salad with a medium-rare orangutan, but it's also a very refreshing beverage. That's right. After a hard day's work, don't meet your mates at the pub, you know. Are you over beer? Have a pint of palm oil. It's refreshing. Um, go home, by yourself, and have a lovely, refreshing pint of palm oil. Um just simply pick up the 12 litre tin of palm oil and pour it into a glass and drink up and enjoy that palmy, oily goodness. Uh, Gary Gary and uh, George Colombaris from MasterChef, they enjoy a lovely pint of palm oil in the afternoon. Uh, what do you guys reckon? Mm. Yeah, great, isn't it? How easy is that? Yeah, they said better than I ever could. A lovely pint of of palm oil um you know, people go to see a film like planet of the apes and they go jesus christ um they, they they blaspheme and they say that that is a scary film and you know what that's not improbable uh if the, if the apes rise up and, you know if it's true what all these scientists say um <clears throat> i wouldn't trust the scientists as far as you can throw them um <clears throat> There is a conspiracy about global warming. I haven't figured out quite what the conspiracy is yet, but I assure you there is one. And when I find it out, you'll be the first to know. But um, these scientists, they say, oh, yeah, we have evolved from apes, right? So you'd have to look at the apes around you, turn to the ape next to you and say, look, one day you're gonna be developed like us. You're gonna be smart and you'll be able to use your thumbs. And what what are they going to be capable of? We're going. To, we're sitting here trying to you know look after the wildlife. Uh, one day they will evolve and they will compete with us. And I got to tell you, apes are stronger than humans. They will rip us to shreds, and sometimes they even do. Um, so. Rather than watching Planet of the Apes and going, "Oh, eh, oh, that was scary," and then doing nothing about it, you're going to do something. Look, I'm an anti-vaxxer. I'm against vaccines, so I stand. I, I I do something about it. I stand on street corners holding a big, flashy sign saying, um, "Don't vaccinate my children," um, and I and I dance around in the street corner. And when a when a newborn baby passes by, I yell at the newborn baby because I obviously hate newborn babies. So I yell at them. You know, I do something about my my opinion. Um. So, I'd like to see more people um, <clears throat> using more palm oil in their food. Maybe even just as you pour yourself a glass of lovely, refreshing uh, palm oil on a sunny Saturday afternoon after sport, and um, maybe just spill a little bit on the bench and get and get someone else to clean it up. Of course, but but just so you have to buy more than you need because we need to uh, cut down as much of these forests as we can, and um, so these uh, orangutans. Um, they won't come back to bite us in the ass later on. What? The the Melbourne Cup. But as far as I'm concerned, they say they say we Australians were so laid back. They say anything goes down there. Um, yet the race that stops a nation isn't even a public holiday. In fact, I actually genuinely thought, and this is how naive I was growing up, I thought it genuinely was the race that stopped the nation. It certainly stopped me. It gave me help. Gave me heart palpitations. Almost stopped me in my tracks. The excitement. The hats. That's what I was really in it for. As a camp 11-year-old. I wasn't wasn't betting on the horse races. I was betting on who'd win the fashions in the field. Megan Gale again. One dollar 20. I'll put 20 on Megan, please. Hmm, Megan, you are something. Um, I always believed that it was the race that stopped the nation. Until Grade 8. I'd watched it every year of my life, as far as I could remember. And apparently, your human memory doesn't begin until you're about four years old. So maybe I'd missed the first four. Not to my knowledge. My parents could just be telling me, yeah, yeah, we sat you up in front of those first four. You loved them. How you laughed. How you laughed and shat your pants and threw up everywhere and cried as a three-year-old. You loved that race. But uh, there's no way of verifying that. Because I have no human memory. In fact, Apparently, this is what my brother tells me, and that guy's never lied. He said that uh, most memories that people think they have from early childhood, you know, one year year old, two year old, even like 17 years old while drinking a goon sack in a public park, um, you don't actually remember those things. You create these memories in your brain. Perhaps you've seen a photograph of you hanging out with your deceased grandfather. Uh, at the age of two. And in your brain you think you have a memory of that event. No, No, sir. You created that in your mind, you crazy bastard. You don't remember a single damn thing. Got a problem. Delusional. Up until grade eight. And I remember it was heading towards three o'clock and I asked my English teacher, I said, sir, I rose and, and I stood on my desk and I said, Captain, oh, Captain, my Captain, wherefore shalt we be watching the Melbourne Cup? And he said, oh, yes, that old thing. Um, and, he, and there was a particular young fellow, very wealthy from Camden, and, uh, one of those trust fund kids, and the teacher said, look, you, young man, would you uh, head off to the library and see uh, when this race starts and see if it's started yet? And the boy came back about 20 minutes later, and he said, Oh, yeah, it was on, and it's over now. Now, I feel like irony is one of those things that's best described with an example. It's hard to sort of describe what irony is without um, an example. And so I think today, I I mean, if I had a penny for every time someone came up and asked me, Hey will aloe vera drink uh, cure my spina bifida? I would have probably one penny from when I looked at myself in the mirror this morning and looked deep into my eyes and asked myself, will this aloe vera drink cure spina bifida? Um, but if I, uh, a few questions I've also received go along the lines of, what is irony, Harry? What is irony? And I, and, um, I, and I answer that question with a question. Why are you you asking me? I'm incredibly busy. Uh, uh, Please, keep away from me. Um, But then I think about it and I realize that this is irony. And this is incredible irony. And sometimes you don't need uh, jokes. You don't need to come up with with creative jokes uh, to find irony. Sometimes in life, irony occurs right under your nose. And sometimes in Parliament House. You see... um, Actually, down in New South Wales, they got their very first um, uh, Muslim uh, member of parliament down there. It's great. I mean, there's there's quite a significant Muslim population down there in New South Wales, and I guess uh, in in terms of democratic fairness, you'd probably expect a Muslim member of parliament. But then at a a multicultural uh, Labour uh, committee meeting uh, last week, This particular Muslim MP uh, kicks out a Jewish um, board of deputies executive director who had been personally invited to the event. So you have a multicultural committee event and the Muslim guy kicks out the Jewish guy. Um, Sometimes irony occurs right under your nose and sometimes it smells of baklava. Anyway, so here's a nice number from Charles Bradley. It's called Changes. The late, great Charles Bradley, he was a soul star that wasn't a star. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so there are many, many different types of pornography. I was uh, doing some uh, research for the show, and i got to tell you, uh, there is a lot of pornography. That, that reminds me, Karen... Karen, yes, we've used up all the downloads here. Yeah, we'll need more, more megabytes. Thanks, Karen. Um, yes, and, and uh, there's so many different types. you think you've seen them all. But did you know there's a pornography type that um, is actually shown on ABC television every day? And you might not know. Um, it's called sad farmer porn. Um, sad farmer porn is uh, very sought after these days. Um, uh, 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 people will pay a lot of money for sad farmer porn. Um, it's, it's, just, it's just a you know classic example is like you know swatting the tens of flies away from their face while while pointing at a dead sheep, and uh, especially things like saying something like "Oh, we just don't know what to do." That gets um, you know, sad farmer porn lovers really hot and bothered. Um, some quite. Uh, notable uh, sad uh, sad farmer porn uh, consumers you know, like, like Clive Palmer and Adani and uh, Gina Reinhardt. Um, they just love sad farmer porn. They're spying up DVDs up after DVDs. It does make the question, why do you never hear a farmer say things like, Oh, we have a lot of fun out here. You know, why, why do you, ne- you never see on the, on the news, a, a farmer's having a good time. Surely there must be something to it, otherwise we would have ditched these farms ages ago. Literally in South Africa, um, there are farmers out there getting attacked and they don't want to give up their farm. so there must be something to the farm life, there must be something to it. And I think they've got to start being a bit more honest. I mean, why don't they say things like, oh, we have parties all the time and get no noise complaints. Um, you know, why don't they ever say, oh, we get great, great tax breaks. Uh, we, we, we just sell four cucumbers a week and we send all three of our boys to Nudgee College. Um, that's big the question. Uh, anyway, a sad farmer porn. Yes, Clive Palmer, Gina Rinehart, they just love it. They have wild sex lives now, both of uh, them. Just you know, to get them in the mood, let's put on a bit of sad farmer. Just put on uh, Australian Story at 8 p.m. on ABC. and you know, man, Clive is 17 again. He goes all night. And that is a lot of huffing and puffing. Yes. Now, if you enjoy Christmas and you don't have a heart of stone, um, you probably enjoy the film Love Actually. Um, It's starring uh, the the late, great Hugh Grant. Um, It's my very solemn duty to report this morning that Hugh Grant has been found dead. In New Zealand, he was found in a sauna with a very uh, high uh, blood reading of cocaine. No, Hugh Grant is alive. Hugh Grant is alive and well, um, fortunately. Um, We can still wait in that Love Actually sequel. But um, you might recall from the very beginning of Love Actually, there's that scene at um, the airport. And rather funny, I I remember watching that that film on a plane and uh, they actually... They cut out that part where it, uh, it mentions 9/11, the uh, September 11 attacks. You know, when when he said when the pe- when the people were on, on the planes and they were flying into the twin towers and they you know they were allowed to make a, a couple of phone calls. He said how how telling it was that no one um, rang up a, a person and said, "Hi, my plane's flying into the twin towers. I just wanted to let you know before I perish in a ball of flames that I hate your guts." and stay the hell away from my wife. No, every call was, babe, I love you, love the kids. Um, so it showed that at, at the forefront of everyone's mind really is love, and that maybe there's other things um, that distract us from from love. And um, well, Hugh Grant doesn't just say that. Hugh Grant adorably stutters that. Hugh Grant s- does not simply speak. He adorably stutters. Um, but he says, oh, um, well, so, so, so they actually cut that part out when I was watching it on the plane and because I know that film rather well probably it would have to be in my top 10 uh, most watched films not because I particularly enjoy it more than other films in fact some of my favourite films I've only seen once um, maybe if I watched them again uh, you know in, in, with a clear mind maybe I'd realise that Meatballs Part 2 actually isn't that funny um, anyway uh, so in fact if we're going to talk about favorite films, I mean, define a film. Why does a film have to be 90 minutes long? I mean, they're only 90 minutes long because that's how big they'd make the reels and they'd fit those reels into your standard, uh, you know, cinema projectors. I mean, my favorite film is is a one that I found on YouTube. It's called Star Wars Kid. It's just a kid with a stick. Um, he was intending to make a, like a special effects video of him with a lightsaber, but um, someone found the original copy without the special effects, and it's just a really fat guy in a in a bare room, just uh, jumping around um, with with a, waving a stick around. That goes for about three minutes. That's my favourite film. Um, so got you with the technicality there. Found a loophole. My favorite film. Next time anyone asks me at a bar. Uh, my favorite film. Actually, Star Wars Kid. About three minutes long you find on YouTube. Um, very sophisticated stuff. Um, unfortunately, not foreign. Uh, actually, it is foreign. It's American. Define foreign. Define these things. In fact, one of the words that I hear the most that no one actually, in terms of like the ratio of how often you hear the word and how many people actually understand what the word means, I think number one is white people. You always be, oh, everyone who works is a white person. Everyone in Parliament's is a white person. All right. Um, who's white? Is an, is an Italian person white? Is a Greek person white? There's such a spectrum here. There's so many Europeans. I'm a quarter French. Am I white or am I French? Who's white? Is white uh, just English people or is white Europeans? Should we say Europeans? Do they mean Europeans? Now, Europe actually includes Azerbaijan and Turkey. Is a Turkish person a white person? <coughs> Christ, I want to end up in. Bloody prison, just for mentioning this sort of thing. Anyway, 7 p.m. project we will do a bloody two-hour special on me next bloody week. Anyway, uh, what I'm trying to say is, uh, Hugh Grant, there's a scene at, at an airport. Everyone's kissing and hugging. He says, if you want to see love, go to an airport. Um, and as a, as a man who has family uh, in Sydney, I travel back about once every two months, and, and I, I, I love staying out the front of airports and, and seeing people come and go. And, and I, I like to guess how long someone's going away for, by how uh, passionate the embrace is before they leave. You see a man, a woman, and they, and they, they, they French kiss. Oh yes, a lot of tongue action going on there. Um, a lot of exchanging of saliva. And, uh, and, and you can say, oh, maybe uh, they've been dating for one month, he's going away for a week. Um, When you see a little hug and a peck on the cheek and maybe an awkward wave as he leaves, you say, all right, he's leaving for six months and they've been married 10 years. Um, It's very good guessing game. And it would actually be, if you had a little bit more courage, you'd probably just like uh, get some wages going with your friends and then maybe catch up with the person with the bag and go, how long are you going away for? How, How long have you known that person in the car?